You want to find your tribe of raving fans, and that's just what we're here to help you do. This is the Tactical Titans podcast by Justin Lamb of the Tactical Program, where we help entrepreneurs build better businesses by not only sharing insights and candid conversations, but by nurturing our minds as well. Get ready to build, automate, and scale your business, because here we go. Here's your host, Chief Strategist of 360 Media and Educator at TacticalProgram.com, Justin Lamb. Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tactical Titans, where I help business owners build a better business. And today, I am going to talk to you a little bit about how to turn an idea into a business. Now, for those people who have followed me for quite some time, uh, you will know that I have started a number of ventures over my uh, couple of decades of building businesses. And, you know, people often ask, how do I come up with an idea to start up a business? And the honest truth about that is uh, I don't come up with the idea necessarily. Generally, what I find that, uh, and, and you might find this true, uh, that you are particularly interested in something and that you kind of got good at it, or uh, that you had a pain of some sort in the marketplace um, that you weren't able to satisfy a need. And that's where most, I believe, small businesses come from. Uh, and, and what that is, is really, it's, it's a level of curiosity. Now, how do you know it's going to be viable in the marketplace? Uh, because, you know, your, your itch might not be, you know, something that many people maybe people share, right? And, you know, one of the ways that we can do that quickly is by literally talking to everybody about it. Um, and you don't have to necessarily divulge the mechanics of whatever it is you're doing, especially if it's proprietary uh, and something or something that can be easily replicatable if you want first to market. But, you know, I'm sure around you somewhere, you have a bunch of people who you might, you know, bounce the idea off of. Now, it's not to say that we don't want to trust their decisions um, you know, or trust their responses to this. But we need to read between the lines. Because if you're asking people <clears throat> and talking to them about a business idea, <clears throat> what's really happening is uh, you're sharing something that may, they may not necessarily understand as a world um, you know, of entrepreneurship because many of the people that are around us are likely not entrepreneurs. They work for people. Uh, and so you know, they're, they don't think the same. They're not innovators of that space. And so more often than not, they might you know, try to, in good faith, I mean, I don't think that they're doing it to, to dissuade you, but I think a lot of it is that they're uh, concerned for our well-being, concerned for our ability to survive and thrive, and nobody wants to see us fail. And so they're going to kind of um, do what we feel like is, you know, throwing jabs or kicking us down and not valuing our ideas. And part of that is our ego, because we want something to happen. And, you know, we're putting our ego in the way and not listening uh, and not understanding and being empathetic to, you know, what that person is viewing on the other side. And what they're really doing is they're really trying to care for us. And if we can take that into account, that's great. What we need to look at, though, is asking the right questions, right? We're not talking to them about a business necessarily idea, but we want to see how viable this product or service is. Now, if you're talking to 100 people and nobody really seems interested in the problem that you're solving, then the likelihood of you having a successful venture is going to be 
quite an uphill battle. It's not to say that it's not going to be available to you, that it's not going to be a viable industry or product or service. It just means that you're going to have a lot more obstacles along the way than if you were mentioned to somebody and everybody jumped on board and said, that was a really great idea. Um, I totally have that problem, right? So if you're talking about market research, that's market research in a nutshell. It's asking a bunch of people uh, you know, their opinions and taking a look at the data, right? Now, that is different than asking them if they think you have a great business idea, okay? If you ask them if you have a great, great business idea, they're going to come up with objections because they're not business owners, okay? They're going to be like, well, where are you going to get the money, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, how are you going to find the people? What are you going to find the resources? You know, there's a hundred other people's going to do is, you know, what makes you special? Those are questions that you're going to have to answer eventually anyways, but it is not necessarily about whether that product is viable. And if you want to know whether or not you're going to have a very big and successful business, uh, in fact, you might want to look a little bit further and see not just if people like the idea, but if people are genuinely curious about what it is that you're talking about. Because if we're solving problems and the people are resisting it, it goes, well, you know, this is not going to happen. That's their closed mindset. That's them not being able to see what that market looks like and or realizing that, you know, you actually are trying to solve a problem that they didn't know they had. I'm sure Amazon ran into this problem when he was, when Jeff Bezos was first selling books out of his garage. I don't think anybody really realized that, you know, they having books delivered on demand was really that valuable until it became valuable, right? Nobody believed that having, you know, um, thousands of songs in your pocket was going to be really valuable until they really started to explore it and they started to understand it. And so every market will have their early adopters uh, and those people are going to be, you know, the ones who have the same problem as you. Now, fame and fortune sort of follows uh, the, the size of the problem that you're solving. So if you're finding lots of people who could really use your solution, more than likely you're going to have a fairly lucrative business, right? As long as all the other components are right, right? And if you're, you know, marketing engine, of course, your sales and your product developments are, 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 and funding, of course, uh, are all in place and you're doing well, your likelihood of you having a successful business is higher. Now, if you're talking to people and nobody seems interested uh, and, or somebody, you know, funny enough, it happened to me before, uh, points out that that product already exists in the market, then it's a different question. Right now, we're not looking about product and viability. We're looking at go well. What what's working for that product now? If it's already on the market, uh, and how can we improve it? Now, that's no no qualms about being second, third, fourth, or hundredth to market. I mean, if you look at the drugstore, you know Tylenol and all the other headache medications on the shelf, you know, can turn your head silly. So there's market for everybody and everything then it just comes down to your messaging and the uh, financial capability to market to the masses. So if you are starting a business and you're not sure whether or not it's going to be great for you, uh, whether or not can you have a viable business, do a little bit of market research. Go out, ask people. And then after that, uh, don't let fear or the inability for people to see what you don't see affect you. Instead, ask deeper questions. Right. Because, like I said, people you ask more than likely aren't entrepreneurs. 
And if they're not entrepreneurs, they don't have the same vision and ability to see a bigger picture. So instead, ask them more questions about you know, why they don't see that it works. What obstacles do they feel exist? Are you going to take that down as data? Because they are also helping you in the sense that they might see blind spots we don't see, right? And that's not to say that we don't pursue it. Um, if we believe in that product or service and we really find what we do can make a difference, pursue it and go after it. And But then you'll have at least some advance notice about some of the challenges that you're going to have. And by having that upfront is actually really beneficial. You'll save a lot of money, a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Uh, but you'll also be able to see you know, what people perceive it as. What are the problems? Actually, the higher the resistance level to things, I find is actually a better indication of, of data collected than people who say they absolutely love your stuff uh, and that they're going to buy it. I mean, there, there's a bonus, obviously, if it's flying off the shelves and you can't keep it in stock. But the opposite is true is that if, you know, people are asking more questions and are curious about what it is you're presenting and that you learn how to solve a bigger or better problem, in fact, you might end up solving or creating a product or service that is bigger than you were originally intended because you went down a rabbit hole that you were willing to put your neck out on and believe wholeheartedly in. But as a byproduct of it, got more data, more useful data on how to make a better product. Uh, but if everybody's you know, flying off the shelves and they're not giving you great feedback, what, what do you do to innovate? You, you can try to do another one hit wonder and try to find another product or service to add to the repertoire to grow. But again, you're going to run into that problem. And what if it's not successful? Uh, you know, that can really take the wind out of your, your motivation and, and, and the sales out of your, you know, or the wind out of your sales when you're, when you're trying to build uh, a second product line because your first one was so successful. So, you know, when we're asking, don't be disappointed if you don't get great feedback up front, but instead take a look at it and go, hey, you know, they're giving me uh, harder feedback, you know, and I, I have to ask better questions about it or dig a little bit deeper to see what the underlying, you know, objections to those are, because they're going to be very real. And it might give you insight on how to improve that product or service so you make it better for market. Okay. Now, in terms of, you know, how do you know this is going to be viable? People are probably asking for a nitty gritty. What did I do? Um, early on in my photography career, uh, I attended a workshop and this workshop was taught by uh, Rob Provencher. Um, you know, and he was a photographer out East Coast. And I really liked his work. Uh, I liked him as a person. Uh, and I, I really, I went to the workshop looking for some new answers. And I was really young. You know, I was really early on in my career. Uh, but what I learned in there and that he learned from somebody else was that if you wrote a good marketing message and it was clear and it's concise, and you wrote it on a pizza box, if you wrote it well and you understood the problems for, you know, that you're solving, you would invariably find the right customer. You know, the person who's going to read that box will understand the problem you're solving and then want to give you their hard-earned cash. And nothing could be further from the truth. And even now, you know, as a production agency, as a marketing strategist, I tell people the same. It's not that, you know, we can't sell our product or service, but we have made it so convoluted for an individual to want to purchase our product or service that they get paralysis. And they're not able to process and move to next steps. So if you were looking to 
start a new business and you want to figure out, you know, how do you get a great idea? Look towards what it is that you want to solve first. Is it you want to take a hobby that you like and share it with other people? Or are you really solving a problem? Okay. Those people who solve problems are more than likely to have a better uh, business model, right? They're just going to have a business uh, that people can resonate with. If you're doing something solely as a hobby, the uptake is a little bit different, right? You're not necessarily, um, at first you're, you're, you're doing it because you love it and, and people kind of take notice and they kind of want one when they want to support you, uh, but it doesn't necessarily give you the marketing chops uh, in terms of you know, understanding what problem you're solving. And so if you come up with a business idea, uh, rather than just you know, to pursue a hobby or, or something that you enjoy, take the time to ask yourself a deeper question. Go, well, what problem am I solving for people? Right? If you're baking cakes, if you're just baking nice cakes, then you, know, you can solve a variety of pain points. You could be solving a price pain point. People don't want to pay $100 for a cake maybe, and you want to make it cheaper. Just know that you're not going to have the profit margins as a person who's making a hundred dollar cake, um, and or maybe you know your techniques are up to snuff, and you know they're not going to have as pretty of one, but it kind of maybe you know better than getting a uh, you know crappy one at a really cheap store, and or try them trying to make it themselves. So you just have to understand what product um, you know or service you have, and what problem it's it's actually solving. And when you can do that, your marketing is going to get better. Uh, you're going to be able to test that to more people. And of course, uh, at that point, once you sort of get that market knowledge, you can take that and build a business out of it. So real world example, okay? Um, when I first started a car community, I didn't uh, know at the time that there was a need for you know, a car community where you know, it wasn't just a bunch of people behind a scene and you know, on, a, on a forum board messaging each other and having that camaraderie uh, and that there was a real desire for, you know, people to have pocket niche groups uh, where you could compete together. And me and my brother, we started uh, Import Dynamics uh, on a whim. It was more so because we could be cool and you know, do something that we shared uh, as a common theme while we were modifying uh, our vehicles at the time. And, you know, as we shared that with people, we realized that there was a gap in the marketplace where, you know, it felt like it was sort of out of reach for sort of the really high, uh, for the mid-level people, you know, the, the, you know, the, the regular Joes, because, you know, people who often worked in packs of, of car teams had either an abundance of money or maybe was associated with a garage, but there are very few of them, you know, really that were not necessarily specifically community or organized, like, um, like the Vancouver Honda civics, uh, uh, forum board or rev scene, which was sort of more generic across the board, but not necessarily a team. Uh, there was a, there's a component in the market where they wanted something like that. And we were able to take that uh, and, and pitch that to people and say, Hey, join this team. Uh, you know, and we would like to go to compete together. We'd like to show up to events together. And it was really neat. And you could do a hobby that you really love to do. Uh, and, and then be able to do that and share that with a, a group of people and collectively, we could work together to find people who'd sponsor us and to, you know, uh, find maybe better discounts uh, on the stuff that we were going to buy anyways. And it would help our, our sponsoring companies, you know, because they would have uh, a different revenue stream and people who would, you know, maybe put their sticker on for their marketing purposes. We try to make it win-win for everybody. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, we found that that you know by talking to people, people are interested in it. And you know, at the time, there weren't that many groups of people who had teams, and you know, most of them sort of niched out on a specific you know type of vehicle, right? Um, you know, they had like Club EL, or they had the Vancouver Civics, or that Integra group. Uh, and we were one of the only groups who accepted anybody who wanted to modify a vehicle. And that made us interesting because when we went to competitions, we would have cars from all different makes and models and all different, you know, visual aesthetics and or uh, specialties. And that caught the attention of people in the movie industries because, you know, when they're looking for a specific one, yes, they could go to, you know, whatever Club Integra, Club EL. Uh, but to find something unique and, you know, a group of people, you know, who could band together and have everything from uh, a, a Japanese modeled vehicle, um, you know, modified to, to JDM format all the way to, you know, your, we actually, I think we did. Yeah, we did. We had, um, you know, we had a, a domestic vehicle. Uh, and then of course we attracted attention to, you know, different groups who would see us and you know they would they would make friends with us and and we grew this little little group and you know we took home awards during our first couple of competitions people took notice and you know that that really then sparked on the sponsors and our ability to then monetize and some of those vehicles ended up on movie sets which was like really awesome but all of it started off with an idea you know that we wanted something more and we wanted something that was different and we had a problem to solve we wanted a place where people could come who modified vehicles who just loved to modify vehicles it didn't matter what we could share time share knowledge and build a camaraderie and then go together to car shows that that you wouldn't have to sit there and be lonely by yourselves and that we could go together and we could hang out and you know we could we could enjoy that with one another uh, in an environment that was really not pretentious and not exclusive. And that was appealing to people. And, you know, that was, I mean, albeit not a, a full-fledged business, but it turned out into, it, from an from a idea of creating a community, ended up becoming a monetization of, of that process. And, and there, I think, is nothing better than, you know, having a, um, a hobby end up becoming an actual enterprise. Now, photography was much the same. Um, you know, as, as I was building the car community, people knew that I took photos. Um, and, you know, when we talked about what was valuable to people, when I said that I was going to do wedding photography, people were interested. Uh, and, and, you know, even though there were only 50 photographers in the Yellow Pages at the time, and nobody really advertised it online because, you know, the internet really wasn't really that robust. Um, you know, we had to speak to people, we had to share that, and you had to be bold and share that with people and what you were doing. And the feedback was, you know, was positive, and, you know, people were interested in it. And that's how I built 360. I built it on the backs of word of mouth referrals, uh, because they did a good job. But also because I talked to people, I said, you know, I was doing wedding photography. Uh, I, at the time, I didn't really look at what people were try charging. I, I just, I did everything by math. Uh, and, and I started out with my pricing, you know, pretty much straight out the gate after I did my first two pro bono weddings. Um, and, and honestly, my prices haven't really uh, adjusted themselves, uh, except for, you know, with inflation over the last decade or two. But pricing wise, I mean, we've kept up with inflation, but I did all of my stuff mathematically to start with. Um, and so when I put it out there, you know, nobody really questioned. I didn't know if I was high or I was low until maybe 
God knows, probably about a year and a half into it when I started to meet other photographers in the industry. Uh, but up until that point, it was really sharing about what it is that I wanted to do, uh, that, I, that I shot weddings and I had it at a price point and, I, and, and people felt that that price point was fair um, and it served a market. Little did I know that I was actually in a middle market you know, segment and I had good enough work to do that, to do it there and be successful in it because some of my peers uh, in that market were just not really good. And the people who were, you know, of my equals uh, would have been an echelon above me. And, you know, I ended up dominating that market for the greater half of a decade uh, until the end of 2008, 2009, um, you know, where we were viewed as a premium, you know, visual aesthetic at a, you know, non-premium price. Um, and, and it was really interesting at that point, you know, of course, then, you know, tides and industry and, and trends change and cycle. Uh, and we had to adapt. And of course, then we added all sorts of other things to the business, but that's a whole new podcast. Uh, but, you know, the, the crux of that is uh, I started that business by solely sharing an idea, listening to the feedback and continuing to build upon, you know, what people wanted to see, what people wanted uh, and asking better questions about, well, what do they really want? You know, what did, what, what is, you know, having uh, a great price mean? And it was, you know, what, what, is, what is it that they value? And by asking those questions about what they valued allowed me to not necessarily drop a price um, that was lower than market on purpose, but more so create value for that individual uh, so that they perceive that, you know, I was worth more than I was. Uh, and so, you know, when they see the price point that you have an irresistible offer. And, you know, Tony Robbins actually talks about this in some of the work that he does. And, you know, the success of a person uh, or a business really, you know, sort of hinges on a, an incredible offer. And that incredible offer doesn't necessarily have to be on a bargain basement price. Um, what it does is it, it needs to incept a value proposition that is overwhelmingly in the uh, consumer's favor than in the business's favor, uh, at least at a, at a at a surface level, uh, look at it. And when you can do that, you're going to create demand, right? And so, yeah, if, if you are looking to, you know, create a business and you don't know where to find your ideas, uh, I would start by looking at the things that you're good at, the things that you really enjoy, um, the, the problems that you have uh, surrounding the things that you enjoy uh, or the things that you, you, you like and, if you can start to find ways to answer some of those problems, then more than likely you're going to start to stumble across a possibility or an opportunity that it can become a business for you. So if that was helpful for you, uh, this is a little bit shorter of a podcast today, but I hope you found value. Uh, tune in next week as we discuss more about business and marketing. And uh, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you all next week. We want to thank you for listening to the Tactical Titans podcast produced by 360 Media. Your time is valuable and we're deeply humbled that you are spending this time with us. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at 360 photo and at tactical program. You can also email us. We want to make this channel great, something you enjoy and find tons of value. Send us your insights to info at 360photo.com. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It helps us reach more listeners. As always, tune in next week as we help you become titans of business and marketing.